welcome everybody to a special episode of EM Over Easy. Drew and I are recording live. I can say that without getting ridiculed because we are. We're recording live for the St. Joseph's Grand Rounds. And we are here joined by two very special guests, Anand Swaminathan and Miguel Reyes. So guys, thanks so much for coming on and being willing to record under the circumstances. Thank you guys for having us on. Thank you so much. Drew, you got nothing there. There's typically a short order <laughs> retort. Well, no, I'm trying to behave uh, since we're doing this for, for ground rounds also. They don't need my snark quite yet. Yeah. It'll come out as we get going. Because we are live, Drew is on his best behavior. We weren't recording. I wish we were recording at the time. He gave me a compliment, and I was, you know, I want, I want that for eternity. I'll just have to remember it and write it in my dream journal. So today we wanted to talk about kind of a situation I think we've all had. It's a situation that the first time you have it can be a little daunting, and it's the idea of being coached by a peer in real time. I think we talk a lot about in academics about feedback and evaluation, and so much of that is done kind of in the abstract and post-event or post-shift in a special meeting for it, but how, what do you do when it's happening in real time? And so kind of the scenario I kind of want to think about and put everybody's mind is, is you're working a clinical shift, you're working at a place that has double coverage, and a cardiac arrest comes in. You get called because you're on that day for critical patients. And you assemble your team in the trauma bay. And so you've got nurses and you've got your RT and you've got your techs and your EMTs. And you're working at a shop, again, this double coverage, but has residents. And so your residents are in the room and isn't attending. You're kind of there to make sure that you have organized chaos, right? You make sure that the room is appropriately, you make assignments. And then the patient comes in, you start your recess, things are moving forward, progressing. And then out of the corner of your eye, the other attending, your double coverage just pops in and stands in the room quietly. How do you go about responding to that? Swami, do you mind if I go first? Please. Okay. So being the most junior attending around, like I just graduated. So having someone there in the corner, kind of like supervising, if you will, or as a resident, they're supervising, but having someone as like a backup for me is kind of reassuring. So I honestly wouldn't mind. Although that being said, I do like to set up my room in a certain way. I like to assign roles. I like everyone to know kind of like what their position is in the resuscitation. So I'd set up myself as the team leader and having a backup there or someone else, like an extra pair of eyes and uh, someone to like help out with like kind of complex algorithms, I think would be beneficial. And I honestly wouldn't mind it at all. I think it's nice having someone there too. I remember when I started and, you know, I ended up being an attending for nine years where I trained. And so that's a difficult transition because a lot of the co-attendings that you're working with were your supervisors and they trained you and that transition isn't always clean and clear. So I would go into resuscitations and someone would come in and we'd almost fall back into that pattern of they were supervising me or I would feel like they were supervising me. And there were a couple of times where it overstepped boundaries and I actually had to take the person aside and say, this is not the way this role is working. But most of the time when it was a good interaction, it was kind of what Miguel said. They were there for backup. They weren't chiming in. They weren't involved. They were kind of parked in a corner, but I could go over and be like, you know, this is what I've done so far. What do you think? If I had to do it now, if I had to really plan it out, I would grab that other attending and say, you know, we have cardiac arrest coming in, a trauma coming in. I'd love you to be in the room and be part of the team for me to go to if I need help or if I need uh, supervision of a procedure with the resident and I need to assign a task to you. But I would really want to bring them in mindfully, bring them in to the team before I've set up my team. Not so much like the lurker that comes in after you're like three minutes into the resuscitation and you're like, what is this person doing here? So I think in the future, that's what I would like to do if I bring somebody in like that. 
I think you guys are both describing something that is ideal, right? You have a, a co-attending that you work well with. You have a good relationship with it, maybe understands the way you you process. So I mean, I'm in the same boat. I'm still at the program I trained at. Andy was here for a while. We trained together. You know, when Andy and I would, we didn't run codes together, but if we were working opposite of each other, we'd always check in, hey, you need anything and, and kind of observe and be an extra set of hands, ears and eyes, but not overstep bounds. But there's always somebody in your group, we're not going to name names for anybody, but there's always one or two people in the group or from a resident standpoint where a resident comes in and, and gets a little uh, over aggressive and they, they either start taking things over, like you said, where you're, you're crossing a bound or they start to micromanage another task and actually uh, take away from your control of the room. So if done well, this is a great resource and it's awesome to have feedback post hoc too to say, hey, how did I do? I love having that that co-attending debrief me. Yeah, you did a really good job with this or you know, you kind of lost track of your residence. Here's some things to think about because we don't we don't get that feedback very often. But what do you do when somebody starts crossing those boundaries a little bit in the recess space? So you're dealing with the stress of resuscitating somebody. At the same time, now you have this this extra dynamic you have to deal with because somebody's actually fighting against your resuscitation. That's a really tough situation. So that's why like at the beginning of uh, a code, I like to like set boundaries or set kind of like roles and expectations for everyone. I may not know the person particularly well, they may have like good intentions in trying to help out. But I think if I try to designate certain things for them to do, it'll be helpful. Meaning like as the team leader, I'd ask the other attending like, hey, can you help out with procedures? Can you help out with part of the algorithm workup? And if they start to step outside the boundaries of that, it's a tough situation because being a, a the junior attending, like how much sway do I really have? Like how much can I really interject? It's just, it makes for a very uncomfortable situation. So I guess my way to alleviate that would be to set the boundaries early on, let them know what I expect their role to be. And if they step outside said role, it would have to be a case by case sort of basis, I think. That case by case is, is really important. So it depends on the case you're managing and how complicated it is, whether you actually physically need a second set of hands, right? So you can't run a resuscitation and supervise a procedure because you get tunnel vision, you're focused on that one thing. So, you know, if I'm in a trauma resuscitation, I've got a second set of hands. I might ask them, can you manage the chest tube if that needs to go in? Can you be on X, Y, or Z? And especially if I have somebody that I know I work well with, then I want to give them a task where it's going to be easier for me if they do that task. And then I can take kind of the, the larger perspective. A lot of times I'll, I will ask another attending to come in if they're available. It's like, you know, are you free? Do you have about 10 minutes? Can you come in? And I tell them, can you run all the procedures? And I'll run the overall resuscitation. And I think that really can, can help. The other thing that you can do when that person is really overstepping, like you didn't invite them in in the first place. And, and it's not, they come up to you and say, if you need anything, I'm here. That's fine. Stay back there. No problem. But when they start giving advice or they're, they're like kind of like telling the nurse, can you do this? Can you do that? Then I do kind of what we used to do with medical students, but we would never do this anymore because we respect our medical students too much. I give them busy work. I ask them to do something where they will now be busy and if possible, even sent out of the room. So I've done it a couple of times where I had a senior faculty member in my prior place who taught me, who was one of my supervising attendings, who really overstepped her bounds in resuscitations because she still saw me as a resident. And I just told her, I was like, can you go find the family and get them into the waiting room, you know, get them into a, a nice, comfortable spot, maybe find the clergy member who's available. I basically just gave her busy work and, and sent her out of the room in the moment. And then later on, and this was difficult, but it had been like three or four instances. I sat her down and said, this can't happen anymore. If you want to come in, I'm happy to have you as a second set of hands, as long as you're deferring to me and I'm telling you what to do in that situation, but you can't come in and take over. You can't come in and give orders. It's too confusing to the team. And that was not an easy conversation, but it had to be done. 
That's the scenario that I asked him to go get all the towels <laughs> for me. Hey, uh, we're not going to do head up, head up right now. Can you get 100 towels because I need to ramp this patient? And uh, yeah, that, that'd be great. Or hey, I need three pillows because finding pillows in the emergency department is impossible and you send them on a task. Uh, ask him to find the E-wall tube. Can tips. you go find the E-wall tube? Because they'll be gone for like 12 <laughs> hours, maybe 16. They'll come back with like a garden hose from Home Depot. They're like, I don't know. This is the best I could find. I love that you bring that up, Swami, because I'm very similar. I try to be passive, not, not passive aggressive, just very passive in these moments. But I ask them to go do other stuff that I know I want to do, but I don't have time to do. So to me, it's a great use. Use their resources, right? You've got somebody who is at the same level as you or has great experience. Have them go talk to the family. Have them grab EMS to see if they can get more history because those are important. It's nice because it gets them out of the room to where then they leave. You can reset the room and talk. You can do a review of medications, a review of actions, kind of replot your course for your resuscitation, minimize their effect. But like Swami said, you eventually have to have that conversation with them. And how do you go about that? Because I've, I've had a couple of them. I've had some go good. Some are train wrecks. doesn't matter how you talk about it. It's going to be a thing. How do you, what's maybe your best practice? That's actually why Andy ended up going to, <laughs> to Orlando. We, we had one of these conversations and it said, it's either you or me. And, and he was so gracious. No, just totally kidding. You know, I had, a, I had an attending who was, um, she was two years ahead of me in residency and then stayed on as an attending and supervised me. And I remember a circumstance where almost this exact situation happened where she was the attending running a resuscitation. I came into the room. I was probably a first year attending, came into the room just like as backup and then ended up doing a procedure on that patient because the resident failed with the procedure and I kind of stepped in and took over. Afterwards, she was very direct with the feedback. There was no way that she was trying to save my feelings or anything. She's like, you know, tell me what happened there. Why did you get in here? And then, you know, kind of gave me a little bit of a dress down of like, I didn't ask you to come in and do this. I had a plan going in. You came in and superseded that plan. That's not an appropriate function. This is an attending that I still have a huge amount of respect for. So it worked because she went into that situation where I already had a huge amount of respect for her and her clinical skills. I clearly overstepped my bounds and knew I overstepped my bounds. And then she was very clear back to me of saying, that's not an appropriate way to behave in this situation. And so it worked because we already had a good relationship and it didn't jeopardize that. I think it can be difficult when you don't have that relationship, but it still needs to be done. And I think that direct is the best way to do it. I don't think there's any place to beat around the bush. I think it's just, you know, go into and be like, tell me what happened here, why you were involved. And then just clearly say, I didn't ask you to be involved in this situation. And it really does scatter the team because now they don't know who's in charge and who's running it. And that's dangerous for the patient. If you think there's a problem, feel free to ask me to you know, take a step back and say something into my ear. You can tell me afterwards. There are better situations, better ways to do that. And so I, I had to have that conversation only a couple of times that I actually have to have it. And it was never comfortable, but it was always the right thing to do. And it was always only once. I never had to have that conversation again with the same attending. Miguel, I, from a juniorist attending uh, standpoint, and it wasn't that long ago that I was that way too, think, did this happen to you as a resident at all? Because I mean, that's where it actually, the dynamics can be really tough too, right? We do it as attendings to each other sometimes. And the good news is we, we have to have a collegial re relationship and figure that out. It's almost like the emotions even higher on a resident level. What do you think about that one? I mean, have you experienced that? Or what would be your advice to a resident coming to you saying, hey, I just had another resident really step on my toes during a resuscitation. How do I manage this? It's a tough situation. As a resident, I did not have it occur to me where someone else came in and like interjected or kind of like stepped over uh, what I was doing. I had attendings kind of like step in and, and help out, but that I, I thought was appropriate because obviously like they're like the senior, they're their mentor, they're here to, to teach. If I was a resident in said situation, I think what I would do is not try to address it in the heat of the moment because emotions are high, things might be said that you would regret. So I, I wouldn't approach it at that point. I'd probably give it some time to cool down be level-headed about it and address the situation sort of like how Swami mentioned. 
address it directly. This is what occurred. This is what bothered me. I thought this is what was inappropriate. And that way you can have like a more cordial sort of discussion with the other person. So that would be my approach to, to that situation. And I actually did this, I think, as a resident where I totally overstepped my bounds during a resuscitation once. And man, the amount of crow uh, you have to eat afterwards is real. But I found as the resident that that definitely overstepped and was called out for it, it was one of the best learning experiences I had in residency beyond clinical medicine. It really was a good check on me and reminding me that you know being humble and being courteous and understanding what other people's workflows are is really important. And to be honest, as an attending now working with residents is probably one of the best lessons I learned for hopefully being a good supervising resident where I can bite my tongue a little more and hold back when maybe I want to address some of the things that residents are doing, but there's a leash that has to be had there too, right? I'm sure everyone listening to this, there's attendings we can name that uh, let us do everything and let us fail a few times and find a way to succeed. And there's there's attendings that jump in at the first sign of maybe struggle and take over a situation. It doesn't mean there's a right or wrong because everything is is dynamic and depends on what's going on. But, but man, there's there's a lot to learn from just saying, hey, you know what? It's okay. I can let this one go and, and you have to learn how to kind of bite that tongue yourself. I find it really hard sometimes when I'm the guy watching a code and things aren't maybe going exactly the way I want them to go, learning to just stand back and unless there's something egregious and, and patient care is really going to suffer from it, not interjecting, but maybe providing some feedback afterwards and saying, hey, I noticed that there were some struggles in these situations, maybe something to think about next time you go, or, or maybe I misread it. That's okay too. I feel like this entire conversation really gets to the idea that the goal when you're done with training is to become a person who can receive feedback in these kind of scenarios, build relationships with your colleagues to where you, one, feel empowered to point things out, not in the moment, but maybe afterwards say, hey, you want to go to the PDR, want to go get a cup of coffee, here's the nuance I saw, but then also receive the feedback that, hey, you overstepped your bounds and be okay with it and not have it alter your relationship with that other provider. Because I have, when I think about this, when I think about peer coaching and lifetime peer coaching, it's one of the best things I love when I go to work is when I'm in a recess. And from my point of view, it's going great. When somebody points out that one thing that my, the patient might be missing, it's what's good for the patient. It's what's good for your team to realize that, hey, we, 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 we can succeed with this one shift. And just kind of building this into your practice of it's okay being approached by a colleague when something's not going right is going to benefit you down the road in spades. So again, guys, I really appreciate us having this conversation because again, the, the goal is for us to normalize this, right? Because when I started writing this outline, I remembered all the negative times that this was a negative or either an attending or a resident. And when I was a resident, came in and kind of overtook the room. But then I started making a list of the positives and it should be normalized that it's okay. It's going to be rough sometimes, but overall, it's going to be better for everybody if you can build this into your practice. It's a great way to lift the team to get real-time feedback from peers is, is something that once you leave residency, hardly ever happens. And it's a, it's a really necessary thing to keep our education and keep our, our practice of emergency medicine driving forward. It's just a matter of creating a environment where it's safe and it's productive to do so. So I don't know that we uh, we answered that question on this podcast, but at least we started the conversation. So our listeners and, and uh, the St. Joe's residents hopefully will have an idea of what's going on as they go forward, that this is a good thing to have happen, but also be sure to nip the bad peer coaching in the bud and make sure that you don't become a bad peer coacher yourself. All right. Well, hey, I guess that's it. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, St. Joe's, thanks so much for having us. This is the first time we've done live grand rounds on a EM Over Easy episode, and uh, it's been an absolute honor. So for all our listeners out there, hopefully a few new ones coming out of New Jersey and New York. Thanks so much for having us, and we'll talk to you next time.